Romans chapter 15. Are we on here? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, we're going to have some readers help us in a few minutes to read these. Uh, this is a long portion. I think probably when you think of Romans, you don't probably think of Romans chapter 15 and 16 because that's at the end of the book, but that's where we are today. And we want to uh, open our comments here. Uh, we have a little PowerPoint to help us uh, move along. Yes, that's the portion we're going to consider, actually starting uh, reading at verse 15, I believe, uh, right, Tim? Or one of us, I can't remember which one's starting. But anyway, we'll have some uh, readers in just a minute. just want to make some opening uh, comments as we close the Roman epistle or the Roman letter. As we close, I'm going to make some opening comments. Um, the letter, I think most of us are aware, it's, it's a letter to the Roman uh, uh, saints, Roman believers. And it is, uh, let's go ahead and switch to the next uh, uh Yeah, so here's, we looked at this last week. I like this outline. There's a number of good outlines on Romans, but I like this one for a number of reasons, but let's, and we'll move into that as we, as we refer to it. But somebody, uh, has rightly called and perhaps aptly called the Roman letter as the cathedral of the Christian faith. The cathedral of the Christian faith. Now, I've not been in too many cathedrals, but I've seen, I've visited big, uh, religious uh, chapels and, and th- that here and there. And I imagine one of the reasons that would be called the cathedral of the Christian faith is because, you know, when you go into these buildings, I mean, there's been some ornate designs that are absolutely stunning in their appearance. And I, I suppose they're trying to impress upon us the wonder and the marvel of God by the display of architecture and so forth. But, you know, when you go into the cathedral of the Christian faith, if you enter into the Roman letter as the cathedral, as it were, you cannot help but be awed by what you see. The outline we have here has to do with righteousness, the righteousness of God. And that that revolves around the gospel The gospel is the good news. You know, there's no news like the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed. That's what I need. That's what you need. I have no righteousness of my own. We learn that in Romans. Think about it. The gospel. You won't get any news like this anywhere in the world, but in the word of God. G-O-S-P-E-L. God offering sinful people eternal life. You won't get any offer like that, any news like that ever. God offering sinful people eternal life. You don't get it anywhere. You'll get all kind of uh, crazy offers in the stores and crazy offers online that you need to jump on and get. <laughs> you know, But nothing like this. Nothing like this offer, the good news, the gospel. You know, the reality of the gospel is that God himself has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ to redeem us from our sins and link us eternally to himself. 
We were thinking this morning a little bit about the nearness of God. You know, like if a celebrity, somebody you like. I remember when I was a kid, I loved the football player, Larry Zonka. You know, nobody knows of him now. (laughs) Because when I was a child, he was the star of the Miami Dolphins. And here we are waiting outside the stadium for this man to come forth. And I almost, I almost wilted and, you know, just as as he he comes out, you know, this child giant of the man to get near a celebrity. You know, but think about this. The eternal God has come and he wants to bring us near. You know, we were singing this morning, cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee. What do you do? What do I do when the, when I get, when that grips me, when the eternal God, you know, another thing about the, the cathedral of the Christian faith, when you enter into it, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I can tell you, On the basis of the Roman epistle and other books in the Bible, of course, your heart condition. Did you know that? I know your heart condition. I do. I'm not a, I'm not a cardiologist. I'm not a doctor, but I know your heart condition. You know why? Because it's the heart condition of every single human being in the world. Romans tells us a number of things about our heart talks about when God began to reveal himself and mankind turned away in sin, their foolish heart was darkened, separated from God. It talks about our stubbornness and unrepentant heart. I go in the cathedral of the Christian faith and I see, I'm not what I thought I once was. You know, God doesn't need an x-ray machine to see in your heart. Right? When God looked down in Noah's day with the wickedness of mankind, he could see right into their hearts. No x-ray machine. He saw that the thoughts and intents of their heart was only good. No, only evil continually. That's the condition of your heart. That's the condition of my heart. We go into the cathedral of the Christian faith. But praise the Lord. It doesn't leave us there. Who can say I have made my heart clean and I am pure from my sin? Who can say that? Well... When we get into the cathedral of the Christian faith, we can't. Let me tell you something else about the heart. There is in our hearts, again, I'm not a doctor, but I know your heart and I know mine. There's an internal longing, isn't there, for something more. God, the Bible says, has set eternity in our hearts, a sense of divine purpose in our human hearts. There's this mysterious longing for something more that nothing in this world can satisfy. As we go into the cathedral of the Christian faith, we see this. There's two solutions (laughs) for the world's problems, the gospel of Christ and the return of Christ. And as Paul is is, is exploring in the the cathedral, he can't help it. All of a sudden, four times, he brings out what are commonly termed as doxologies or a short hymn of praise. He could hardly contain himself as he's in this cathedral. You know, again, I've never been in a real, uh, these, uh, the, the cathedrals of the world, but they're very ornate with all their architecture and so forth, and they, you know, they amaze you. But Paul, as he is amazed by the gospel and the wonder that God has come down in the sight of men, he all of a sudden bursts out with these short, uh, short hymns of praise, doxologies, and we'll look at some of them just in brief. But Romans is a letter. It's the first of the rest of the New Testament after Romans is letters. Right? Pretty much until Revelation. We heard about that. Romans stands at the head of the letters. 
Remember when Acts, the fifth book of the Bible, when we ended Acts, Paul ended in Rome, remember? And now we're going to start in, well, we, we've started in the Roman epistle, and that's where we're ending today. It's probably, it's probably the most important book theologically in the whole New Testament, as close as a, to a systematic theology as you can get in, in, in the Word of God. Now, there's an interesting thought about Romans as a whole. Um, it may be, when we get to our chapter, one of our chapters today, chapter 16, we're going to learn about a, a, a sister named Phoebe. Anybody know anybody named Phoebe? Well, she's in the Bible. It's a beautiful name. And it may be that she's the, the, was the post person that carried the letter because Paul said at the end in 16, uh, I commend you. I recommend Phoebe to you. And she, he told a little bit about her because now she's coming among Christians that she's never known. It could be. It could be very well. But, you know, it could be she, she, when he realized she was taking a trip there, he gave her this beautiful letter, the Cathedral of the Christian Faith. But obviously there are other reasons that are given. But most importantly, as the outline indicates, we have a, a, uh, 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 uh a beautiful volume, a beautiful volume of the common salvation that we share. You know, Jude in the Old Testament and New Testament, the end of the New Testament, he started to write a letter. Right? He wanted to write about the common salvation. But no, all of a sudden, he changed to write about something else to earnestly contend for the faith. But maybe it was because Paul had already wrote. The common salvation, so beautifully put here in Romans. Let, let, let's look at it for, for just briefly before we start our reading. Chapter 1 through 3, we have problems with unrighteousness, sin. Sin. You don't like to hear that word, right? But uh, that, that's what's highlighted in, in, in the problems of unrighteousness. And we look around and we say, can our present society get any more worse? Can it be any more decadent than it is now? You know, when you read about some of the corrupt societies in history, like, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah is mentioned in the Bible. And you know what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Had to rain down fire and brimstone to destroy them. So we wonder how long this country, how long this world is going to last. We know how it's going to end, praise the Lord. We know how this world's going to end. We do. Sin has entered into the world and is going to cause tr trouble, and it has caused trouble. But you know, while Paul is contemplating this in the Cathedral of Faith, he, he, he he's, 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 he's giving a, a kind of a history of mankind. When they knew God, chapter 1, for the problems of unrighteousness, chapter 1, when they knew God, mankind, they did not glorify him as God, neither were thankful, and so forth and so on. He's, he's painting this awful picture. By the way, you see deterioration there. The world around us teaches evolution. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible, like man, you know, he, he starts as a little goo, and then he comes to the zoo, and then he comes to you, that kind of thing. No, no. By the way, I heard that from Dave Winfrey many years ago. Okay, and then so it's not evolution, it's devolution. That's what mankind is doing. He's devolving. That's what Romans chapter 1 says. But when he gets to the end of that chapter, he says, he says, 
They worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. That's the first doxology. He could hardly contain himself. So we go on. The problem of unrighteousness, the provision of righteousness. And next in chapter four and five, we need, I need to be saved. I can't save myself. Every religion of the world says, do this and maybe you'll get a come kind of credit with God. That's not salvation. God offers us justification. He, he, he justifies us. He declares us right in his sight. That's the wonder of the provision of righteousness as we enter into the cathedral of faith. And then there's a pursuit of righteousness and sanctification. We learn as Christians how we ought to separate ourselves from the world and practice what we know. Trust and obey, we were singing. Then there's chapter 9 through 11, the uh, the program of righteousness. Paul is, he's, he's looking around at this wonderful salvation and he thinks, my own countrymen, the Jewish people, they're rejecting what God came to offer. Why aren't they responding? Well, God has a program. He selected Abraham. He selected Isaac he, uh, and not Ishmael. He selected Jacob and not Esau to bring in the Messiah. There was a selection process going on. And, and eventually, all Israel, believing Israel, will be saved. There's a beautiful uh, program of righteousness. And there again... We have a beautiful doxology. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God and so forth. And then lastly, in our section, the practice of righteousness, how the gospel is displayed. So as we read, you, Tim, you can go ahead and uh, bring up the outline for the, yes, this is the outline. Now, as we read through, see if it makes sense to you, because ministry is used in chapter 15, because the word itself is used a number of times. See if you can catch all the references. So I forgot who was first. Uh, Romans 15, uh, Tim, Romans 15. Read along with us as we read. It's a lengthy reading, but I think it's very worthwhile. Fifteen, fifteen. Uh, okay. Uh, this is Romans fifteen fifteen, right? Yeah, okay. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points, as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Jesus Christ in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient, and many signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, To whom he was not announced they shall see, and to those who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts, and having a great desire uh, these many years to come to you, 
Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey, and to be helped on my way that on my way there by you. Uh, if first I may enjoy your company for a while, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contri- contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service from Jerusalem may be accepted to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Amen. Chapter 16. Uh, Jean? <clears throat> Come on down, Jean. All the way to the microphone. Chapter 16, 1 through 16. Good. Um, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a, in a manner worthy of the saints and a sister in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of, all, of myself also. Great Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow wor- workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epanitus, who is fruits of Asia to Christ. Greet Mary, who has labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen, my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who were in Christ before me. Greet and Amplius, my beloved in the Lord, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Statues, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ, greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen, greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Perse who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and his mother and mine. Greet Asincitrus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrovis, Hermes, and brethren, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philogus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Thank you, Gene. He almost deserves a round of applause for all those names, right? Those are tough names. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly happy I didn't have to read that section. All right, uh, starting in verse 17, 16, 17. 
I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Decanus, very very good. So let's just comment briefly on chapter 15 and chapter 16. Now, we didn't cover uh, the first part of 15 last week too well, I understand. So let me just summarize what he's saying that, as I recall or understand in in the first uh, part of chapter 15. Referring back to chapter 14, we looked last week about the subject of Christian liberty or matters of the conscience. Some have put it matters of secondary importance. You, you, you like to eat this. Some others don't like to eat this. You regard this day. Others don't regard the day. That kind of thing. Now, some activities in the Bible we know are wrong because the Bible clearly condemns them. Other activities we know are right because the Bible clearly commands them, right? But there are things that aren't express commands of Scripture. And Paul summarizes this in the first seven verses. The ministry of the mature. The ministry of the mature. In other words, those who are strong, right? That's how he starts out. Those who are strong. What does he mean? You've gone to the to, to Andrew's gym and you've worked out? You know, <laughs> no, none of that. That full liberty regarding things that are morally indifferent and not to please ourselves by selfishly asserting our rights, right? If we have this strong conviction and conscience that things like a certain day that some regard as holy, which is not commanded in the Bible, let them have it. Go ahead. I I don't need to regard that, but for sake of my brother, they're weaker, whatever, without power. Their Christian faith was not suspect, but the restrictions, sometimes as believers, we bring restrictions on us unnecessarily. I have to hold a certain day. I have to hold a certain diet and, and so forth and so on. And we carry these out and they could tend up to be scruples uh, that, that cause division between the strong ought not despise the weak. There's a ministry for the mature. If you find yourself in that category, Paul did, right? That's what he said. We that are strong. He didn't have that those it, those issues, but some do. Uh, we looked at several or considered some last week. Uh, the strong should not seek to please themselves. That's what it says, right? We should not seek to please ourselves. Chapter fifteen and verse one. We should not be self 
self-centered, but concerned about the spiritual welfare of others. And pleasing others is the example that the Lord Jesus set, right? In, in verse uh, number three. But that's not an end in itself. Just that I don't want to please others. I want to build them up edify. I want to build up my brother and sister. Maybe they're a little bit weaker and have, you think, well, I, 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 like we looked at last week, I need to wear a tie. I need to wear, wear a white shirt. I listened to one brother teaching one time, you know, and it was impressed upon him growing up in a certain uh, environment that he always had to wear the priestly white garment shirt. Every Sunday, I have my priestly white. And when he started wearing colored shirts, he admitted, he said, I felt I felt so out of place. I felt like I was, you know, going against the Lord. There's not, the, there's not a verse in the Bible that says you shall wear a white shirt. But that was a way that he interpreted because of the pressure around him, you know. Colors of clothing and all that kind of thing. Types of clothing. You know? Anyway, there are things in, that, are, that are gray areas and we want to build one another up. And, and if we're strong in the faith, we want to build, we want to uh, not be self-centered, but not uh, assert our rights and build up one another. And this is the example that the Lord Jesus left, right? Paul quotes uh, from a verse in the Psalms to support this. He didn't please himself. I shouldn't please myself, right? He came to do the will of the Father. He came to please him. The Lord Jesus paid a tremendous price to come here, right, to this world, to minister to us. <laughs> Talk about weaklings. <laughs> That's it. But no sacrifice that we could ever make could match what he did for us. And then, he, then in, in, in that same section there of 1 through 7, Paul shared two sources of spiritual power from which we, we must draw if we're going to put this in action. If I'm going to please my brother and sister in Christ, what, how am I going to do it? The word of God, verse 4. The things written before were written for our learning. He's referring back. By the way, that's the Old Testament scriptures right whatever's written before was written for our admonition that we through patience and hope of the scriptures might patience and and comfort of the scriptures might have hope so the word of god is necessary and prayer verse five and six now the god of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded toward one another to christ jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify god even the father we need that type of thing the word of god and prayer so uh the and then we go to the end out there in verse seven as we conclude we're to receive one another and the first part of of this ministry of the mature we're to edify or build up one another and we're to please one another all to the glory of god as I pointed out, ministry, ministry, ministry. You'll see that word all through this, uh, the first half here at least. And it's interesting that in verse, uh, eight, we read, now I say, when regarding the ministry of the master, the, the, the ministry of the master says this, verse eight, I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises of God. So that seems to cover the Gospels. When the Lord Jesus was here, that's what he did. And then the first seven chapters of Acts. The ministry of the Master, as we have it here, he began in the Gospels, and then he continued on. And even in the Acts of the Apostles, what Jesus began to do, he passed it on to his chosen ones. And then in verse 9, Paul describes the ministry uh, as he witnessed, he himself, among the Gentiles. Uh, in, in verse number 9, uh, 
that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles. Paul was the uh, witness or the testimony to the Gentiles. And then in verse, and that covers basically uh, the, the testimony of Paul. And then in verse number 10, the ministry that is applied there to the, could be applied really to the church council in Acts 15, where the Gentiles were given equal status, Jew and Gentile brought together. Remember had, they had a big, uh, uh, explosion there about Jew and Gentile. And well, we read here that in verse 10, rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. There's that coming together. And that is the wonder of the gospel, how God could unite, um, uh, in spite of social status, right? He could unite these together. So the ministry of the missionary, the ministry of the missionary, starting in verse number 15, that's Paul. He's going to tell us, right, as he closes his letter of the Romans, of the cathedral of the Christian faith, he felt led to discuss his philosophy, how he went about uh, his ministry and his plans in the light of it. And look at what he says in verse 15. I wrote, nevertheless, brethren, I wrote. I have written in the past. He's talking about what he has already written quite boldly quite boldly in some measure to remind you of them. This is a practice of the New Testament writers. Peter often did it himself. And then in verse 16, the ministry of the uh, uh, missionary, I serve the gospel of God like a priest. What's he talking about? I serve the gospel of God like a priest. Look what he says in, in that verse 16, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Paul had introduced Gentiles, those that were outside the commonwealth of Israel. He had introduced Gentiles to the living God. They had no hope in themselves. But Paul presented, after he did that, he presented them like an offering to the Lord and God's willingness to accept the Gentiles set apart by the work of the Holy Spirit shows that his plan in the present age, right, is to unite Jew and Gentile in one body. And that's spoken about in Ephesians and other places. Also, let's click it again. In the ministry of the missionary, <clears throat> whoever heard of Illyricum? I don't see any hands, right? Whoever, well, except if you read the Bible in chapter 15, whoever heard of Illyricum? Now, yes, we've heard of Spain in verse 24. That's in our portion here. But Paul's visit, verse 19, it's not mentioned, that visit to Illyricum. Now, what in the world, where is that? I understand this to, to be what is uh, referred to in the Bible as Dalmatia, and, or, uh, and it corresponds to what we would know Today is what was used to be called Yugoslavia. But anyway, it's where Serbia, Bosnia. We know Paul went to Macedonia. If you look on a map, I don't have the map, sorry. If you look on a map, Paul went up to, and he reached Macedonia. But north of that was this area uh, known as uh, Illyricum or Dalmatia. And that's where he went. He reached uh, to Illyricum and beyond, to Spain and beyond. Uh, Paul's purpose, verse 20, was to be a pioneer in the gospel where Christ 
was not named. He was opening virgin territory, as it were. Those that had never heard the gospel of Christ, he wanted to get there. And sometimes, you know, we ask ourselves, do you find yourself in a school? Do you find yourself in an office? Do you find yourself in a neighborhood where nobody's heard the gospel of Christ? You know, um, <clears throat> Brother Christian Eichley, Aaron mentioned in the announcements, he, uh, like many, he goes out onto the, uh, uh, a certain public area in the Cleveland area, Edgewater Beach, and he's able to meet, it's like a melting pot of individuals that come from all races and all cultures, and, 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 and he's able to give the gospel in track form and enter into conversation. It's a beautiful practice, right, that, that all of us have a privilege of associating with, is to get the gospel to those that may never heard. You know, <clears throat> this country, right, it's called One Nation Under God. Sometimes I wonder if we are or not. I remember one time I was talking with a... Uh, I work in the school system when I work. I'm not working right now. But I remember working there, talking with a, uh, a teacher that was right next to my office. And I, and I said, Mr. So-and-so, you know, it's like David. Like David in the Bible. He looked at me. Who's David? Had no idea. And I, I'm thinking... Why should he? He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, most people in this one nation under God have no regard or no interest. They're ignorant of the scriptures. So I had to tell him who David was and so forth. You know, but we're, let's, let's follow Paul's example, right? Introduce the Lord Jesus to those that don't know him. Uh, next one there, the ministry of the missionary. You remember, as I was saying, he said something in chapter one. I was hindered from coming to you. I couldn't come. Something was obstructing me from coming. What was it? Was he, you know, was he sightseeing, you know, around the parts of the world, you know, with his feet up, you know, that kind of thing? No. He says it right here, right? He says it right here. As I was saying, 1522, for which cause I have been much hindered from coming to you because he had preached the gospel to all these places. That's why he was hindered, you see? So he he starts out in chapter 1, the beginning of the Roman epistle letter, and then he, he says, I wanted to come, but he doesn't say why until right about here. As I was saying, that's why I didn't visit you. I've had a lot going on because he was now he had it says in verse uh after he'd finished that work now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you when i take my journey to spain i will come to you what am i going to come to you for a roman vacation go sightseeing that's what i'm going to do go sightseeing not this man not this man he's going to go soul seeking right he's not going to go sightseeing he's going to go seeking for souls that's what he announced in 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 chapter one but specifically here i'm going to uh i must go first to jerusalem to minister to the saints there was a a monetary offering made uh, by these Gentiles in Macedonia and Achaia for the poor saints at Jerusalem verse 26 and i'm going to take that offering He goes on to say that the Gentiles were so appreciative, think about this, so appreciative of the fact that they were introduced to the God of Israel that provided them so great a salvation, they felt responsible to minister back 
to those Jewish saints. Do you know, and I, I believe you would know this, but many, it, there's a rise of anti-Semitism, and it has been for years, uh, in, in our society. We don't like, as a, as, a, as a whole, the Jewish people. But that is not a biblical attitude. No, here was some Gentiles that were so affected that they wanted to, to offer something back to them. They, their duty, they, they were partakers of spiritual things, verse 27, and now they're meant, they're, they felt a, a responsibility to minister in carnal, in spirit, in carnal things or material things. Now, chapter 16. I would give, venture to say, and uh, again, we, we, uh, Gene did a fine job in reading that portion for us, but when most of us get in our normal Bible reading, our co- private Bible reading, we, um, we probably, I think you can switch it now. We, we switch, yeah, here we go. Back to the outline. We probably kind of ignore, or we read real quick through this chapter. Well, let's, let's think about this chapter for a minute. It's very, very remarkable when you think of Romans chapter 16. In this chapter, Paul greeted about 26 people by name and several churches as well. Well, what's the significance of this? First of all, commendations, recommendations were made about saints. Let's bring up the next um, slide to try to highlight that. He named, and we don't have them all named here. We have Phoebe for one, and, and if you can read it. Um, but <clears throat> he named several saints, you know, that, that were ministering. And he wanted to commend them or add a boy, give them a, you know, that's the way to go. Encourage them on in their walk with the Lord and, 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 and see that that kind of thing, uh, continued. I, I wonder, you know, it shows, uh, that Paul was a friend maker. Look at all these friends he had. He was not only a soul winner, but he was a friend maker. He didn't try to live an isolated life, you know, like some monk in a monastery that it can't be touched. No, he wanted to win souls and he made friends and he appreciated them. First of all is Phoebe and for, that we referred to. And I can point it out, it's possible that she was the one that carried this letter and, and he wanted to introduce them, uh, introduce her to the saints there. They didn't know. But you know, I ask myself, how, how did he know all these dear saints when he didn't even establish this church? Paul was led to establish many churches in the New Testament, not here. How did he know all these? Was he up on his social media? He had Instagram, you know, and he could keep in touch with everybody that he... No, no, he didn't have any of that. Can you imagine Paul going from port to port, place to place? He was a people person. Hey, what about Aquila, Priscilla? You know, what about this one? What about that one? He was a people person and he knew all these saints in that church. How did he do that? How did he do that? Some people think this is an odd way to end this beautiful letter that brings us such good news and and, and such lofty doctrines 
You know, maybe is this like an odd way to end it? No, it is not. Of course it's not because it's in the Bible. But God tells us a number of things. God cares about individuals and names. The other day, I had some help from a former co-worker. I mean, a, a, a co-worker. He doesn't know me from Adam, as they say. But this guy, because of his position, was able to speak up for somebody unknown and, and give a little helping hand. And I appreciated that. Paul is bringing out these individuals that sometimes it's easy to forget. You know, somebody, the unknowns, the ones that are down low, that, that, that they don't have all the fanfare. Well, that's not that we can see God is interested in individuals and names. I know my sheep, the Lord Jesus said, not just the, 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 the popular ones, but he keeps records. Also, he keeps records of faithful service. Do you know who's watching when nobody else is watching? You pick up that little piece of paper, that little act of mercy, that little word of kindness. The Lord is keeping accurate records. It's here. It's here in chapter 16. God declares a variety of people in this chapter of race and social status. It's all important. Married, single, it doesn't matter. They all come together in this chapter. He highlights family affection. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We would might say today a holy handshake. Maybe it was cultural. Certainly not a, somebody pointed out, certainly not a Hollywood kiss. You know, but a holy kiss to greet the saints. Have affection toward brothers and sisters in Christ. Another application of this chapter is very thought, uh, I think, well worth thinking about. Somebody is like in chapter 16 to the Bema. What in the world is the Bema? Well, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you know that there's coming the day when you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, referred to by a Greek word, Bema. As a child of God, I am going to give an account to the one who died for me, not for my salvation, for my service, me and me alone, not my mommy, not my daddy, not my uncle, not my auntie, not, no, just me. I am going to give an account, so are you. I'm going to stand and receive for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. This chapter is very indicative of that because God keeps accurate records. My thoughts, my words, my actions are all put in a record book that I am going to give an account to before my Savior. That is solemn. As a child of God, I want to please the one who died for me. From the time that I trusted Christ, I want to live not for myself, but unto him who died for me. And I learned from this chapter 16 that God keeps accurate records, a book of remembrance. You know, in another judgment, not the Bema, in another judgment called the Great White Throne, if you're here this morning and don't know the Savior, the books are going to be opened. And the dead are judged out of the things that are written in those books. 
if that doesn't shake you, that, you know, God keeps accurate records for judgment. I'm talking about people that don't know the Lord, that, that are lost, never received Christ, and they will be judged according to their works. And whoever was not found written in the book of life, cast into the lake of fire. If that isn't solemn, that God, I'm going to stand before the Lord in every thought, not me, not me, but the unbeliever, every thought, every word, every deed that I thought nobody ever noticed is going to come before that Christ-rejecting individual. Here's what the Bible says. You talk about previews. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were open. That's enough to shake a person right down to the ground. To think that God takes account of my words, my thoughts, my actions, and all will be judged accordingly for the Christ rejecter. But for the believer, praise God, sins put away as far as the east is from the west, buried in the deepest sea. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Never to come in account before God. But he will judge my works. Why do I do the things that I do? Why do I say the things that I say? Did I say something unkind that didn't represent, didn't present the Lord Jesus properly? Did I have an unrighteous thought toward a brother or a sister? He will bring that into account for reward's sake. This is a very, very serious chapter that just gives us a hint, a hint of what it could be. Well, we know what it will be in the judgment seat of Christ. And then if we move on, we're almost done. Chapter 17, chapter 16, verse 17. Look at our, uh, go on to the next uh Thank you, Tim. Exhortation, warning in verse 17. I beseech you, brothers, mark them which cause division. There's a warning there, right? There are those in the world among believers, supposed believers that walk contrary to the teaching or to the doctrine which we have learned. Do you know that Satan does his best work, one of his best works, within a church environment? Second Corinthians chapter 12, he masquerades as the preacher. I can think of a lot of preachers that are very popular, but they don't conform to the teaching of the word of God. We're to, we're to be warned about such and don't be led astray by such. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine and avoid them. Avoid them. You know, it's doctrine or teaching is very important. I understand that that there are sometimes squabbles over things that aren't necessary. But much of the New Testament was written because there are specifics that we are to guard against. There's specifics that we are to follow when it comes to pleasing the Lord who gave us. There are commands in the New Testament, by the way. But, but, Though we're to mark them and avoid them, we can earnestly contend for the faith without being contentious. Right? We don't have to be contentious as we contend for the faith. We can disagree with another believer without being disagreeable. We can judge without being judgmental. 
And we can rightly divide the word of truth without being divisive. Just because the, 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 the brother in Christ or the sister in Christ down the road meets at a different church and they have a little different practice, as long as they're, they're walking in accordance with the word of God, we want to encourage one another. We want to enjoy that common bond in Christ. But there are those that masquerade in the church that don't conform to the word of God. We are, and they have fair speeches, you know. <laughs> they, they, they can, they, they can, they, they can, they can fill a stadium and entertain thousands of people every Sunday. As these folks are on their way to hell because they're being taught wrong doctrine. And then verse 19, we're almost done here. We're almost done. 19, I would have you, your obedience has come abroad. He was commending them for their obedience and he he was glad, trust and obey, we heard earlier, or we sang earlier. I am glad on your behalf that you trust and obey. And he says, but I would have you wise concerning good and simple concerning evil. Good and evil. The Bible has a lot to say about good and evil. We can start in the Garden of Eden and go all the way down through the Scriptures about good and evil. And I won't go through all that right now, but I will say, how do I learn? How do I learn? How can I be wise concerning that which is good? What course do I take? What college do I go to? What university? Where do I go about learning to be wise concerning that which is good? Well... He tells us in the last verse, to the only wise God, that's who I go to. Where do I go to for such counsel? To the only wise God. And I want to be wise concerning evil, wise concerning good, and simple concerning evil. There's a lot of evil in this world that I do not have to participate in. I do not have to even learn about because it could be very corrupted in my life as a child of God. Lastly, termination. He's ending, he's terminating, he's ending the uh, uh, the epistle, uh, the letter, verse 20, verse 24, 27, three times. It's like, look at that. He, he, he ends it. He says, uh, the Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Verse 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Verse 27, to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Three times. <laughs> he can't stop, right? He tries to terminate three times. But notice what he does in the, in, in the, in verse 20. He, he brings out this point. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Satan is going to be bruised, but the saints are going to be blessed. The God of peace be with you. You know, <clears throat> We better close here because I only have five minutes. But Satan has done a lot of damage in this world. I was listening to the testimony of a man that served as a missionary pretty much his whole life in South America. And he was pointing out the... Demonic practices of the witch doctors and how evil affected they are by them. Now, one of those witch doctors, evidently, this is, this is by the way, a video Paul Bramson put up. One of those witch doctors was saved, gloriously saved, came out of this awful demonic background. 
And he came to America one day with Paul Bramson or somebody, somebody else, I don't know who. And somehow he was saw on the news or something, the Columbine shootings. He said, I know why they did that. You know why? He explained it as the demonic spirits that he felt before when he was a practicing witch doctor that entered into him and he had to go out and... He had to kill people and shoot people. Well, and there, the bow and arrow. All prompted by the evil spirit. The evil spirits. Satan and his minions do a lot of damage in our world. And that witch doctor that was converted looked. He said, I know why he did that. It startled Paul Brampton or whoever he was talking to. He never thought of that. Satan is at work. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There is an unseen enemy that is at work in our world. Not just Columbine, but everywhere in our world, in your office, in your school, trying to oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ because they don't want this one that is highly exalted. They don't want that. In fact, when the Lord Jesus came to one, he says to a demon, the demon says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Don't send me away now to that awful abyss. We just need to be thankful as children of God that the day is coming when Satan is going to be, he's already a defeated foe, but put out of the human existence altogether. Roman, we'll get into Revelation chapter 20, chained bound for a thousand years, no influence whatsoever for a thousand years on the earth. And then ultimately, of course, Cast into the lake of fire. Satan will be crushed. The saints will be blessed. And then exalting God, we close there. Wish I had time. Just take one minute. The mystery that he brings out. The message of the gospel was hidden. He calls it a mystery. It's hidden in the Old Testament, but it's revealed in the New. In the very beginning of Romans, he says that it was declared... Uh, by the prophets. Only faintly seen was the gospel, but it, it was a mystery to be unfolded in the New Testament. But everything is wrapped up in him. The gospel of Christ, the body of Christ, as we look through Romans, the spirit of Christ, the love of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, the churches of Christ, everything is wrapped up in him. And now that we can say that the mystery has been revealed, we can rejoice in the Savior. And where, when we read the scriptures, we can see him conveyed in the Old Testament. It was a mystery then, but it's revealed now in the New. And when we read, we can find the Lord in the Bible. I find my Lord in the Bible wherever I chance to look. He is the theme of the Bible, the center and heart of the book. Wherever we look, the Lord is there. We thank our God that he has put him there. He's the theme of the scriptures. And that's how Romans closes. This mystery was revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful letter. We thank you that... 
There's no news like the good news of the gospel. And our Father, we thank you for every child of God here this morning that, that, that knows the Savior, longs for the Savior's return. We live in a wicked world. We look forward to that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Savior. But for those who may not know him, oh God, we pray that through the work of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of your holy word, they might come to him whom to know his life eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.